Welcome to Mysterious Goings On, the podcast about creativity, writing, and mystery. Every week, we talk about all kinds of great fiction and meet the people who write it. We also feature explorations about creativity in all walks of life. Your host, Alex Greenwood, will join you right after this. Hey, it's Jamie Green. Kansas City is known for lots of things. Barbecue, jazz, fountains. But did you know it's also home to some crazy murders? It's true. Join me and my co-host, Alex Greenwood, as we make a killer cocktail and then delve into the strange and odd historical murders here in the heart of America. The Going to Killing City podcast debuts on May 1st, 2023, wherever you get your podcast. summer break here at Mysterious Goings On, but that doesn't mean that I can rest. I don't know about you, but even when I'm sitting in the backyard with a nice drink and a book or something, I just feel like I should be doing something. Well, I'm through interviewing people for a little while. I hope you did listen to the most recent interview show with George Stevens Jr. He came back to the show. He liked it so much. I was so honored and it was such a thrill to meet him and learn more about his wonderfully exciting, interesting life. If you haven't caught it, I hope you'll check it out. But I am writing a lot more on Medium and LinkedIn about a variety of topics, and I thought I would go ahead and share some of those same topics with you here intermittently until we start recording again. And just as an update, we will start recording again last week of July or first week of August, and then we'll launch the show for fall in September. Um, But again, if you're interested in being on the show, and we've got a long line already, I'm flattered to say, we'll start recording basically the month of August to get probably half a dozen to a dozen in the can, as we say, and then we'll just keep recording to a certain point where we have enough for the season and go. But it doesn't mean I don't have uh, thoughts and opinions, and I wanted to share some of those things with you this summer, so that's what this is. We will be talking about the things that are on my mind, and I'll be sharing with you. And there'll be some of this stuff will be posted on Medium, some on LinkedIn, otherwise. But I'll put a link in the show notes so you never miss anything. Uh, Not that I'm so (laughs) vainglorious as to think that you have to read everything I write. But I just thought, you know, it might be uh, fun to share some of this stuff with you. And this week is no different. So without further ado, welcome to Midsummer Medium. This episode's essay is coming right up. A Critique on Critiques, The Absurdity of Amazon's Book Reviews Amazon, the e-commerce monolith, has been the death and life of publishing, the grim reaper and the nurturing cradle all in one fell swoop. A prime venue, pun intended, for independent authors to sidestep traditional gatekeepers, Amazon has opened doors previously barricaded by the old guards of publishing. Yet, it's also home to a perplexing phenomenon, a proverbial battleground of intellectual discourse littered with the casualties of illogical and, at times, absurd book reviews. I recently moderated a six-author panel at the St. Louis Public Library, and most of the authors agreed. They rarely read their reviews. I beak at mine here and there, but less and less as I write more books. Why? Well, because there's nothing you can do about a reader's opinion, especially when the opinion is irrational. Stephen King summed it up pretty well 
It's a thought that many writers had in the face of bad or just plain unfair reviews. Uncle Stevie says, I've spent a good many years since, too many I think, being ashamed about what I write. I think I was 40 before I realized that almost every writer of fiction or poetry who has ever published a line has been accused by someone of wasting his or her God-given talent. If you write or paint or dance or sculpt or sing, I suppose, someone will try to make you feel lousy about it. That's all. But we're adults, right? We can handle bad reviews. It's the dumb ones that sting. Picture this scenario. An author pens a fascinating exploration of string theory, challenging the boundaries of known physics. They publish their work on Amazon and await their first reviews, the harbingers of future sale. The first feedback rolls in, one star. The reason? The customer's dog chewed up the book. The literary value of the book now undermined by a teething Labrador. A stark example of capitalism's grand narrative going astray, my friends. Or how about this? A gripping novel set amidst the socio-political turmoil of the Vietnam War receives a two-star review. The indictment? Lack of recipes. Yes, ladies and gentlemen, no instructions on how to make a banh mi in a war zone. Is this an expected attribute of a historical fiction novel now? Then we have the logistics complaint brigade. Those who wage their personal wars with FedEx or UPS in the realm of book reviews. Because clearly, a delayed delivery is the author's failure. It's a reflection of their narrative prowess. A sort of twisted intellectual causality where the shortcomings of a third-party logistics service somehow resonate within the thematic constructs of a book. It's as nonsensical as blaming Apple's iPhone for AT&T spotty coverage. Check out these examples of misguided or irrelevant book reviews on Amazon. Uh, get your bingo card out. Maybe you've seen them. The Lost in Translation Review. For a book about the cultural intricacies of Japan, the review reads, quote, couldn't understand it, too much Japanese culture, unquote. It's as if someone read a book about quantum physics and complained about too much science. Next is the formatting complaint. Quote, great book, but the ebook had weird spacing on my old Kindle. One star. This is like blaming an artist for how their painting looks in bad lighting. The quality of the content and the medium through which it is viewed are two different things. Next, the spoiler review. Quote, gave away the ending on page one, two, three. Uh, ruined the book for me. Unquote. Revealing major plot points and reviews is a thoughtless move that spoils the reading experience for others. A book review is not a place for spoilers. Remember, folks, it's a review, not a book club discussion. The outside of the genre review. Review for a book on global economic policy states, quote, too much economics and not enough action. I prefer books with more suspense, unquote. This is akin to complaining that your economics textbook doesn't read like a Tom Clancy novel. If you buy a book on economics, expect it to contain economics. The overly personal review, quote, didn't like the main character's name, reminded me of my ex-husband. One star. In the grand scheme of literary critique, personal biases like this shouldn't factor into a book's overall rating. This is judging a book by the cover taken to an extreme level. And these are just a few examples of how the intention behind book reviews to share valuable opinions about the content of a book can sometimes get lost amidst personal issues, irrelevant complaints, and misunderstandings about a book's content. And don't get me started on Goodreads. While Goodreads can be a fantastic platform for book lovers to share opinions and discover new reads, it is not immune to flaws, often hosting reviews that are prejudiced, superficial, or plagued by the same misguided criticism such as irrelevant complaints and genre misunderstandings that we find in Amazon's review landscape. It's also a place where people will gang up on a book and crush it. Just ask Elizabeth Gilbert. 
profanity police. Let's turn our attention to another set of curious culprits in the world of skewed Amazon reviews, the profanity police and the trigger warning watchdogs. These folks deem it their sacred mission to penalize books for quote, bad language, unquote, or lack of trigger warnings. Can we get one thing straight? Profanity, like any other linguistic device, can serve a purpose in a book. It can reveal character, set tone, or paint a realistic picture of a certain time or place. To degrade a book merely on the basis of its raw vernacular is a shallow interpretation of literature. Actor Stanley Tucci's delightful memoir, Taste, is fantastic. I've listened to the audiobook three times and found his narration engaging and fun. Also read the book to learn about his very serious health scare. And if you want to hear about my own half a year without being able to enjoy food, the episode is called Tasteless here on Mysterious Goings On. I'll put a link in the show notes. Most reviewers agree that Tucci's book is great, except for several people who are seriously been out of shape by a sporadic use of the word fuck. Quote, I'll also note there was a ton of language, particularly F-bombs, which unfortunately increased as the read went on and got very old very quickly. Unnecessary and distracting, especially in an audiobook. And his political views also made their way very blatantly at times. Also unnecessary and off-putting after a while. No room for dialogue, just my way is the right way. Disappointing, unquote. Another reviewer says, quote, I may be the only woman in America, but I shut it off in the middle of a description of a meal in Italy because of the F word. Not once or twice, over and over and loud. I find that word decreasing and disrespectful. I don't need that during entertainment, unquote. Well, I've been there myself, folks. I, I, I had a winner uh, commenting on one of my mystery novels who gave it two stars and said, I do not like to read curse words. This was recommended to me by someone I know, and she didn't warn me about the language, unquote. I guess Betty is right. No actual murderer, detective, bartender, beach bum, or pirate would ever use such language. I had another reviewer give me a one star and admitted he didn't even read the book. Grow up. Or if I could, you know, speak like our own Stanley Tucci, grow the fuck up. Triggered. On the other hand, while it's reasonable to expect trigger warnings in certain contexts, it's not a universal rule that all books must conform to. Literature, even low literature like my stuff, often mirrors life. And life in all its gritty, painful, and sometimes shocking reality doesn't come with trigger warnings. Giving a low rating to a book because it didn't cushion your sensibilities is akin to critiquing a mirror because you don't like your reflection. It undermines the essence of storytelling and disregards the author's creative prerogative. Look, I don't consider it my responsibility to warn readers that my series character John Pilot eats meat, he has sex, sometimes in circumstances your Sunday school teacher would not approve of, he drinks booze, he's divorced, he has some emotional issues, he even swears on occasion. I'm not listing all that at the beginning of every book in the series. If a reader can't handle violence, assault, murder, profanity, sex, or the interior monologues of flawed people, then maybe they shouldn't buy books labeled as adult mystery thrillers. The excellent and gentle cozy mystery genre is probably what they're looking for, and that's great. Just don't try to make my grittier stories conform to that standard. Shut up and sing. Some critics seem to operate under the fallacious assumption that authors should, or even can, entirely extricate their politics, see previous review I read from Tucci's book, extricate their politics from their writing. I call this the shut up and sing mindset. Let's clear this up right now. Writing is not created in a vacuum. Authors, like all humans, are influenced by their beliefs, their environment, and their societal and political viewpoints. These elements naturally seep into their work and are often what gives the narrative's depth, authenticity, and relevance. To demand that a writer leave their politics at the door is akin to asking them to strip their work of context, perspective, and often, vital parts of their own identity. 
It also demonstrates a profound misunderstanding of the purpose of literature, which is not merely to entertain, but also to challenge, provoke thought, and reflect the realities, political or otherwise, of our world. If your political and moral beliefs are so fragile that you cannot abide reading anything that contradicts them, if you insist on politics-free narrative, perhaps stick to nursery rhymes. Mature literature, like the real world, is infused with the politics of its time. Recognize this, accept it, and engage with it, rather than penalizing authors for the inevitable presence of their politics in their work. Name dropping. And more than a few took umbrage at Stanley Tucci's, quote, name dropping, unquote. Imagine that, an actor for 40 years, Stan actually has a temerity to mention the names of actors and other famous people. Perhaps he should have dropped the name of his insurance agent or the greeter at Sainsbury's instead. You know, I also saw this in one of the reviews of my uh, two-time Mysterious Goings-On podcast guest, George Stevens Jr., the legendary founder of the American Film Institute who worked for JFK and was personal friends with more political and Hollywood bigwigs than you can shake a stick at. Yet some jabronis criticized his excellent memoir, My Place in the Sun, for mentioning he knew people like Edward R. Murrow, Catherine Hepburn, and Sidney Poitier. They uh, missed the memo on memoirs, I guess. A memoir is a personal narrative that chronicles the author's experiences, interactions, and the people they've crossed paths with over the course of their life. If those people happen to be well-known or influential figures, mentioning them isn't name-dropping, it's simply recounting the facts. Criticizing an author for this is as absurd as berating a historian for referencing historical figures. These critics, with their misguided accusations of name-dropping, are effectively penalizing a memoirist for having an interesting life. Rather than finding fault with the lives of these accomplished individuals have led, critics should appreciate the unique behind-the-scenes perspectives offered in these memoirs. Let's hope that in the future, reviewers can grow to appreciate this genre for what it truly is, a personal narrative filled with rich, diverse experiences, and yes, a few famous names. Petulant people. Well, what's more disheartening is the childish demeanor prevalent in many Amazon book reviews. These critiques, marked by a simplistic, almost petulant tone, reduce the nuanced art of literary critique to a playground squabble. Book reviewing isn't a place for tantrums or personal grudges. It's not a place to whine because a book you didn't cater to your every idiosyncratic whim or because a plot twist upset your Sunday afternoon. Nor is it a platform to nitpick on minutiae like well, blatantly ignoring the book's broader narrative arc themes or stylistic merits. And then we have the occasional typo tyrants. The eager beavers who leap at the chance to tank a book's rating at the first sight of a misplaced apostrophe or a wayward semicolon. Let's put things in perspective here. Typos, while not ideal, are the occasional blemishes in the otherwise meticulous process of writing, editing, and publishing. They are the human error in an innately human endeavor, telling stories. To downgrade a book for a typo or two is to lose sight of the forest for the trees. It's to prioritize the trivial over the substantial, the content, the ideas, the storytelling. While attention to detail is indeed important, an occasional mark Mark my words here, I said occasional typo should not overshadow a book's overall literary value. As readers, we must strive to cultivate a more balanced and fairer mindset when reviewing books. This means acknowledging the occasional typo as just that, occasional, and not letting it detract from the broader picture of a book's merit. Do not get me wrong, if the entire book is rife with typos, poor typesetting, bad layout, I get it. It's frustrating. You spent money on it. That's fine. But I have literally had readers say, I downgraded this book one star because it had two typos. That's just bullshit. And what about unhappy endings? 
Now, onto a particularly vexing breed of reviewers, those who unfairly downgrade a book simply because it doesn't end the way they think it should. These self-appointed narrators seem to forget that reading someone else's story, not writing their own. My advice to these folks, write your own damn book. So, in review about bizarre reviews, the next time you write a book review, first of all, thank you, thank you, thank you. It is so difficult to get a written review posted. That said, please remember to evaluate the product, not extraneous circumstances. Otherwise, you're merely fueling the cycle of absurdity, and we've got plenty of those already, as I've detailed here today. We're not just consumers, but contributors to a collective intellectual ecosystem. Let's act like it. Thanks for joining us on Mysterious Goings-On. Be sure to follow Mysterious Goings-On wherever you get your podcast and never miss an episode. Don't forget, you can get the links to books and other things mentioned on the show at mgopod.com. Until next time, keep reading. Keep reading.